My name is Terry Thayer, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, I'm excited to bring in a good friend of ours, Terry Thayer, for everybody today. Terry runs multiple eight-figure businesses with his main focus being in real estate investing, but he is also a huge advocate for creating automation in his business. Terry has spent years learning the hard way how to remove himself from the business, but has now mastered the process and he's using it to live his dream life with his wife, Christy, and their two kids. Terry spends months away from his home and has created a fun rule in his life where he no longer spends more than six weeks at a time in the same spot, all while continuing to grow his businesses and operate them in a full capacity. In this episode, Terry shares about his journey in creating that automation, the pain of scaling his businesses, and we even touch on how to be a leader for your teams while creating all of this. This episode is full of information for anyone that has a business and is hoping to be inspired by Terry's story about getting out of the operations and more into the fun in their life. With that being said, let's bring in Terry Thayer. Terry, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. We've had some uh, good fun over the years being a part of a mastermind together and spending some time uh, chatting a lot about business and I would say watching each other grow respectively to our businesses. And one of the things that I love so much about you is that you are a master at learning how to get out of your business. Your whole goal is to just get out of it. And one of the things I've always wanted to learn or ask you was uh, along the way of building your businesses, there's a defining point and everyone knows the four quadrants from Rich Dad Poor Dad. At what point did you find yourself going from being the self-employed, working very hard, busy consistently to moving yourself into the business owner where you have employees and a little bit more time freedom. What was there a defining moment in your life where you said, I need to go from self-employed to business owner quadrant? And what did that journey look like? Yeah. I've actually talked about this a lot. It was a smack in the face. It was pain. It was pain that I didn't even really know was there until I saw this, like I had this vision. I was at a mastermind. It was actually the first mastermind I've ever attended back in 2014. And go to this mastermind. And one of my first coaches was up there speaking at this mastermind. And she's, and I've heard all about this, heard her story, heard it just never really clicked. But when she was up there, she's talking about how she's spending a lot of time in Southern California. She lives in Florida. Her business is in Florida. She runs everything completely virtually. She was getting ready to go on this trip uh, for a month-long unplug, literally have no access to anything. She was going to be up in mountains to anybody, anything in her business. But while she was there, her business was going to be growing. They were going to be buying properties, rehabbing properties, selling properties, making money. 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's just for the first time, it smacked me in the face. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm here. I flew in on Thursday for a Friday or no, sorry. I flew in. Yeah, I flew in Thursday night and it was Friday, Saturday uh, mastermind, a two day mastermind. I flew back out Sunday. I think it was like half a day Sunday. I flew out Sunday night. I flew in Thursday night. And I'm thinking to myself, just that little bit of time, my entire business feels like it's like burning to the ground. Like, how could you go unplugged for an entire month? So I became obsessed with the fact of trying to figure out how to actually own my business versus my business owning me. And I left that trip, came back Monday morning, met my guys at the back door. I had a bunch of carpenters that worked for me, 16 carpenters. And it was like, I was just running around, like trying to keep them busy and do this, do that. And I felt like that was the biggest thing that was holding me back. I met them at the back door and I let all of them go except for one guy. And that's how I started to reinvent myself and get to the point. It was a journey. Like it took, it it was one of those things. Like I I tried it, we fixed it a little bit. A couple of years later, I put it to the test where I leave my business for a few weeks and then come back and what's broke and year after year, it gets bigger and better. That's so crazy that uh, I think one of the things so many people forget is, and the hardest thing I think is like when you're having success and you're making money to be able to scale back and automate it, you almost have to take that step back and let go of some of that revenue. And I know you've done that a few times inside your business. How challenging is that to walk away from a good revenue source that's causing you a lot of headaches, but making you good money to automate it so that it makes you more money and you don't have to be involved in it anymore. Yeah. It used to be hard. It's easier now because I always know like business is like one of those things, like it it, it spikes up, you kind of plateau, you hit a spot, but to make a drastic change, you're going to go down and then back up higher. So it's like the first time was the hardest. The second time, (laughs) a little bit easier, not much, but a little bit easier. And now I just know, I expect it. Like, look, we're getting ready, guys, we're getting ready to go through this journey. And this is what it's going to look like. It's going to suck for maybe a month, a quarter, a month, two, three, a full quarter, but we're going to, we're going to springboard forward after that, because we're going to spend time putting the right processes, systems, and people in place to get there. That's, and that's the, the best way to, to do it is to scale back and go forward. When you're making those decisions, how do you separate the decisions between guilt of letting people go and the thought of growing that business bigger, but mental capacity, because part of the thing is you have these employees that have the livelihoods and you feel like you're supporting them. And to scale, it's one of those conversations that you don't want to have. How do you have those conversations inside the scale back to the grow up? Yeah, it's difficult. It's one of the most, I tell people every time I let someone go, it's like one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur is having to do that. But At the end of the day, what ends up always happening is you find out that even though whatever it is reason why you have to let that person go, you're actually holding that person down too. So you're almost, no one knows it until you release them and then they end up finding a better spot almost every single time. It all ends up, uh, you know, working out in a wash, you know? Yeah, that's great. And I want to jump a little bit into the mindset that you've created now around going bigger. Obviously this podcast is go big to give big and your go big is extremely high. And we were just chatting before we hopped on of what you're accomplishing right now is small for you, but it's astronomical for people to even think about doing millions of dollars a month in revenue. 
where does that mindset come from and how do you continually feed it to grow? I don't know where it comes from, but I'm glad I have it. It's, I think it's just years of training when you're training yourself to do something like going to the gym. I want to go to the gym every single day. I want to get up at a certain hour. I want to have a certain routine, like all these things. At first it's hard. It's a challenge, but then it becomes unconscious consciousness. So I think that it's become unconscious consciousness for me because I've, I, I, one of the things I feel like the first 15 years in business, I was cheated because I didn't know about mentorships and masterminds and coaches and all that stuff. I thought the only way to learn something is go to college. And in 2012, I learned about mentorship, got involved in my first mentorship. And I'm like, really, this is a life hack. Life hack. Like you can't buy time, but that's a way of buying time is learning from people who've already figured this stuff out and then just implementing their stuff. So I become obsessed with coaches and learning and educating. We have, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every single year on my personal development, my kids' personal development, my wife's, my business, even people inside of our business. There's actually, when I was just walking over here to hop on this, I was looking at one of our team players, team uh, leaders was actually on a call, a Zoom call with their coach that is from us. You know what I'm saying? So they, a lot of them, we provide them coaches because we, if it worked for us, it worked for our business, guess what? It's going to work for them too. Let's get them the leadership to springboard forward. Because I've made this a routine of something that I've been doing so long, I think that's where it becomes unconscious consciousness. That's awesome, man. You, you mentioned a couple of different risks that I'm picking up on and my questions about that. The great Muhammad Ali, who I'm sure you know of, has a quote of, he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. As we're talking, or as you're, you were talking to us about getting to that next level of going from 1 million to 2 million a month and one of your businesses and even higher, what are some risks you have to take today at this level of business to get to that even higher step? The risks today are always pretty much always financial only because it's if I want to get to a million dollars consistently a month, or if I want to get to two million dollars a month, I have to invest into what marketing and people, and those are those could be unpredictable, like as much it's like this. I can remember when I was really first starting to scale my wholesaling business, my marketing acquisitions business. And we were playing small and I'm like, okay, we're going to put gas on that fire. I put a little bit too much gas on that fire and it just, it smothered it instead of me shot it up. So it's, you can watch your KPIs and, and think, okay, one plus one is, is two. But then if I put five in there plus five, is that going to be 10? Not always. So it's like, sometimes when you, so I think that's a risk is knowing is that, that fine tune of knowing how much to go where it stops working efficiently and not putting too much. And the same thing with investing into people, bringing in new people and making hope, hopeful, hoping that they are the right hire and right person for the position or more people for the position. Because I think one of the most expensive things that you invest in is people mm-hmm. in, sorry, in the wrong people. It, it's the best investment in right people. So having it being very calculated and having a good system to bring on those right people, which we get better at it every year is key. 
Can we dig into that for a second on on some skills that you have around hiring? So what are some pieces that you've incorporated into your business where maybe you've learned the hard way early that as you're picking up new employees, what are you looking for today? There's many different things. It's a lot of time in the beginning, I set every one of my people that I brought in up for failure. Mm. I didn't realize it. I thought I was giving them the moon, the star, and the in the sun, but it's you, you bring in the wrong people for the wrong position. You pay them the wrong amount. You don't give them the right training and support. And guess what the result's going to be? It's, I remember I used to hire project managers. I, I don't know what they go for there, but I used to hire, try to hire project managers for $40,000, $50,000 a year and wonder why I don't get high results because I'm basically hiring a carpenter or somebody who's been in one of the trades that's, oh, I'm sick of being in that trade. I've been around houses enough. Surely I know how to build them. You know what I'm saying? And so then you're just hiring the wrong person. So then when I double that salary, really, when I research what that salary, or the, re- the wage studies are, and what that person should be paid, how, the- how they should be paid, how they should be bonus, all these things, then what am I going to do? I'm going to attract the right person. Okay, so that's part one. Part two is going to be, I need to make sure that I have the right SOPs in place, the right training, video training, written training, everything in place to where it's a McDonald's, right? They open up their manual and says, this is how we run the company. So as long as I do those two things, and then another thing that we've recently incorporated, we used to use DISC before, and I like DISC and I still use DISC, but I don't rely on it. Now we, I don't rely on, on it in a big way, the way I do predictive index. We use predictive index and I'm telling you, man, I have dialed in some, I, I've, I've dodged a lot of bullets with that. And we've even, when, I remember when we first started using it, not, too, not that long ago, we had our entire existing team use it. And I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. You're what? <laughs> you shouldn't be in this position. You should be in this position. So we were able to take our existing people, move them around and boom, watch productivity, watch happiness, watch. Some people were at what's called uh, flight risk. They're good at their position, but they're externally not happy with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They don't realize it yet, but someday everything's going to come to a crash and then right. they're going to be gone. So put the right people in the right seats that it flows with their personality and work and train with them the way they need to, to learn, the way they need to see things, the way they need, that, what drives them, what gives them energy. And you're going to get the most out of them. And I know that you have an attitude of success and winner's mindset, high expectations of excellence. How do you incorporate that into your staff and team today? I just talk about it every single day. We just talk about winning. <laughs> really, honestly, I let them trip and fall. I don't, I, we don't like to manage. We don't, we put different KPIs out, quarterly projections. And instead of being out in the wild west, in the middle of a desert and be like, okay, this is, these are our projections, but looking around, we have no compass. How do we get there? Not like I'll stick them out in the middle of the desert, but I'm going to give them a straight road that this is how you get here. This is how we get there. And if it doesn't seem obtainable, let's make some, move some things around. Like I see business like playing chess. If I'm, if I don't have the right people and I'm, and I am all the people I'm on the chessboard. But if I can put the right people in place, I can stand above that chessboard and I can strategically plan my next move on how things are going to go so that I can get the best and most out of them. It's a brilliant way to describe it and very easy visual to be like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I want to be above the chessboard moving the pieces as opposed to on the board. 
it takes some incredible leadership skills to be able to run a team, drive it and create that kind of revenue and get them to perform at their peak elements. What are you doing to evolve your leadership as you scale and grow your companies? Okay. So it started where I had to be the only leader. So what do I do? I just read, I read, I, I study, I get around people, I get around better leaders, like whatever I can absorb and whatever environment I can put myself into to make me a better leader. But then the key is not to be the only leader. The key is to make really good leaders and then and then just multiplication. And now you've got leadership everywhere. Right? You walk through my office and you're just going to see nothing, but I, there's probably 20 different those what is it, iconic quotes things. Yeah. There's at least 20 of them spread out throughout my entire office. We have, everybody has their predictive index assessments on posted up on there. So we know how to work with them. We're constantly like I might see a cool video that just pumped me up and I'll share it with the team and then it pumps them up and then they'll share it back and just in an influence. I get up every day at 5 a.m. I'm at the gym. I'm doing all these things. It's like this, like people are like, oh, how do you raise your kids? And why are your kids such great kids? And why are they just so motivated? Because I'm not sitting around a couch all day flipping channels. Like they see the drive. They see the reward. They see the cars, the house, the vacations that we go on. They're not dummies. They know that's not happening because they're just sitting out on, we're sitting on the couch, not doing anything. You mentioned your routine. And I think that having a routine is like the recipe for success. It's that act of consistently being consistent that builds that discipline muscle. Has there been a time in your life where you've let go or forgotten about that discipline and have witnessed the consequences in your business or in your personal life, part one, part two, how did you recover from that? Yeah, it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. And I think that's why I, it's easy to recover from it because it just puts you in such a miserable state when you do. It's so important. It's like people rely on coffee. People rely on different things. Like to me, I know my day is not going to go well if I don't get up at 5 a.m., go right to the gym, work out my trainer, do the things I need to do and come home. I have a routine. I make a specific smoothie every single day. I wake up my kids. I get in the shower. I hang out with my kids and then I'll start my day at nine o'clock. So that gives me, what is that? Five hours, uh, not four hours, four hours, <laughs> math, simple math. That gives me four hours of my day of my, to myself. Like when people say, oh, I work out in the afternoons, I'm just like, I can't fathom that. Maybe it works for some people, but I know once I get my day started, I can only control that part of the day. I can't control what happens after. There's always, oh, this came up and you can't get there at the in the afternoon times to get to the gym and such. So I know I can control it in the beginning. And then back to putting a, coming full circle around on, on the second part of that question. It's like, how do I get myself back in there? It's, it's sometimes you get stuck and even though you're so miserable and it's one of those things where I have to just continuously talk to myself and tell myself, this is what we need to do. And I need to write out some goals on this is where I want to be. This is what is this affecting? I, I just start to put it in my face so that it's another layer of reality and then just pull, rip the bandaid off and get started again. 
That's awesome. Before I jump in, I got a question about uh, starting to your travel journeys and what you've been doing in that space and how it's been fulfilling you. But I know you're a big component of 75 hard, and I'm sure most people have heard of it. If not, it'll be tagged in the show notes, but what has 75 hard done for you and your wife and your mentality and your business? I know you're a big component for it. I hate it. (laughs) It's miserable. No, it's hard. It's really what it is. It's what you have to love this. What is it? Embrace the suck. It's very difficult. It was, uh, it was fun to accomplish it one time. One thing I learned, I, I failed at it the first time and accomplished it the second time. The reason why I failed at the first time is because you have to do an outdoor workout and I did it in the winter time and my knees are <laughs> shot, completely shot. And I didn't realize how much it affected me, but being out in the cold, trying to do that, I couldn't move for four days. So I pushed through it for three or four days. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like literally I'm miserable. So the reason why I realized what re- made me realize I can do it is when we moved to Cabo San Lucas for se- Mexico for six months and we lived in this neighborhood called Pedregal. So if you've ever been to Cabo, there's an arch and then an arch goes up into a mountain and there's a neighborhood up there. And that's the neighborhood that we were in. And we were towards the top of that mountain. And every single day, every single morning, we'd wake up at 5 a.m. And we would either do a workout and then a walk where, and it was during COVID, so no gyms were open. So we would do some like something that we'd find on (laughs) on YouTube or something like Jane Fonda sweating with the oldies type of thing. And then we would walk down this neighborhood and back up. And I was like, I realized after like doing this for a month, I'm like, damn, I have no pain. What was the difference? It's 80 degrees here and it was 30 degrees there. (laughs) (laughs) So when I went to do it again, it was right in the beginning of the spring and I was able to complete it. That's that's awesome. And it's such a good feature. And that's a good segue into my next thing. You are such a big component of just getting out of your neighborhood and going out and going to Mexico and staying at some nice places and stuff. What does that do for you in different ways of inspiration, what motivates you to want to go away. Traveling for six months is a long time to be away from your business and your personal life and stuff. What is traveling inspired for you? Yeah. So there's a couple uh, answers in there. One, I have a rule that I can't be in one area more than six weeks at a time. So I need to move around. I need to get it. It's to me, I feel like it's almost you become a product of your environment, right? But you almost, if you become that product, you don't realize you're a product of that environment. If you stay in there too long, you just feel like it's normal. But when you step outside of that environment, sometimes you can say, okay, I want to be back in that environment, or I need to make some changes to, to do something to keep myself uncomfortable. Because you want to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's one reason. Another reason is I like to be around different people, big-minded people. So I try to get to different events, masterminds, even sometimes we'll just go call up a friend that they're doing big things. Hey, let's go here for three, four days. And just getting around different minds of different people. We've developed our business where I don't have to be here. I can be anywhere. And then just having the right people, processes, and systems in place to where I can plug into them from where, wherever I am, I can get on a zoom call. I can get on a call with them. We can slack each other, all these different things and everything still runs, but it just, it energizes. Sometimes Christy and I would just be like, look, let's go to 
the mountains in North Carolina and go to a casino for a weekend just to change things up a little bit. Before we move into the giving side of the, the podcast, you just mentioned your wife. What is it like running a business with your significant other and the challenges you've had to overcome and setting roles versus personal life versus business life? What does that look like for you? A lot's changed in 16 years. We've been together for 16 years. We're getting ready to celebrate our 10-year marriage anniversary. It's. I remember in the beginning, it was like, I think every couple does this. A lot of couples I hear about, oh, you do the book work, you do the backend stuff. Never been an accountant a day in their life, but we're going to have them do accounting work. That makes a whole lot of sense. I don't even, like everybody does it. And when you stop and you look back, now we have th- three full-time bookkeepers and a CFO in our company. I know I'm hiring the right people for the position, but it's like, what were we thinking? Then it evolved. It's okay. What are you good at? What am I good at? Let's do this. And honestly, most of that is completely flipped. It's funny. She runs the entire building company. It's that entire company is all women and she's crushing it. She's going to literally have an eight figure profit year just in the home build, new construction, home building company. And she runs that solely like her mentor, let's call it. I'm the license holder. She comes to me when she needs you know, some strategy conversations. She's a COO of our entire ecosystem, meaning all five companies. We've, we just have to, you have to set like standards or set your grounds. And this is what you do. This is what I do. And stay out of each other's way, stay in your own lanes, meet, have systems to it, that it grows. Because this is another thing I see. I see a lot of couples like, yeah, let's get into real estate business. And then they're going on appointments together, meeting contracts together. I'm like, what's the point? You're everyone, you're doing the exact same thing together, divide and conquer. So today it's gone through a lot of ups and downs. Like today it's amazing. She's on the other side, other end of this office, and I'm over here. And if we have to meet each other, we meet with each other, but we separate business and personal. I say that I'll be in the shower. She's getting ready. I'm like, <laughs> we're talking business. We're at dinner. We're in bed. Like it just happens. We're passionate about it, though. That's cool. I'm, I'm sure there's got to be a rewarding part for you watching her grow and grow into the, the human she's become through that versus just saying, hey, you're just the bookkeeper and stay there and do what you got to do. I'm sure there's some reward in watching her succeed and grow into that space. One million percent. It's, it's uh, very rewarding to watch her develop and grow. And it's, it's also cool that I don't have to be that person. Like she, she takes over that. She's, she's, The biggest reason why she's the COO of the entire ecosystem is she's trying to also protect the brand and make sure the message is being put out there. I'm CEO, so I'm more looking at strategies, how how we can push, push numbers a certain way. It's just a different role. I've always loved talking to your wife, Christy. I think she's one of the sweetest, you know, smartest, humblest persons I've ever met in my life. And I'm really curious on, on how you guys like plan your future together because you have your personal life of like how you want to move as a couple in in life moving forward. Then you have your business life where you have two, what sounds like very autonomous rules together, building an empire. How do you guys sit there January 1st kind of thing or leading to the first of the year and, and project like, Hey, let's go accomplish this five years down the road, 10 years down the road, three years down the road, six months down the road. What is that conversation like between you two? It's honestly helped helped and directed with coaches. Remember I mentioned Gary Harper. So we we run by, you've read the book Traction? Yep. 
right? So we run that model plus. So we're having quarterly meetings, yearly meetings, projections on, on the big level things. So we help, we have coaches come in to help guide us so that it doesn't get into go down rabbit holes and it stays specific to what we need this to, how it needs to be run. But uh, haven't look, I like, I'm a big component of hiring people that do things much better than we do so that we can get to our goals faster. I'm 46. I'll be 47 in a couple of months. Like I'm not getting any younger, I'm getting wiser, but <laughs> I'm, not get, I'm not getting any younger. So I don't want to waste time. I want to figure out how we can get to where we need to get to as fast as humanly possible. That's awesome. And I love everything about how you just, you just pay to level up faster. And I think it's so cool. I want to transition into some more of the giving side of things here. I know you're very big hearted and you do a lot of giving back through mentorships and supporting people and things like that. But just as a general rule of thumb, do you believe that people will put more attention or effort into something if they have a cause attached to it or a charity attached to it? Going back to our days into the mastermind, we are a part of the, the Thrive Make Money Matter mastermind. Do you believe that adding a cause increases your ability to grow the business? One million percent. It's uh, Yeah, having, having that, it's something bigger than you, whatever it ends up being, definitely is something that's standing behind you, pushing you along to help you hit your goals faster. I believe that 100%. What is that looking like for you in your business now going forward? Obviously, you're scaling your revenues from a million dollar a month to $2 million a month. What do you want to incorporate into your businesses now that you're uh, starting to see a lot of that growth in a giving component? Yeah. So that's just one business, by the way, that we were talking about. I want to be a little more intentional. Giving money is cool, but being a part of something and creating something is much more fulfilling. And I feel over the last couple of years, I lost a little bit of touch of that. And I, I, remember, I talked to you a little bit while ago and I said, I'm about three months from being to the point where I don't have to worry about anything in my businesses. I have every single thing outsourced and I have the right people in the right seats with the right systems. Therefore, I can spend more time on the things that I want to spend more time, which is getting the message out there. Like I want to produce more content, get more on uh, podcasts, get more on YouTube, get more on getting my message out there, whether it's paid mentorship, people that pay me to help them, just helping people just by the whatever we can give them, but casting it out much further. And that's what I'm going to be able to focus on a lot more. On top of that, I'm going to have a lot more time which will allow me to do bigger things that I would like to do in giving back and helping others. That's cool. I do want to crack a little bit about the, the vulnerable vault there and say you were uh, a huge component of giving a few years ago and you were really starting to build it. And then you said you scaled your businesses and, and lost a little bit of that touch. What would you do differently now going back and watching that transition over again? Would you do something differently with, with those giving components attached to your businesses as you scaled, or would you do everything exactly the same? So don't get me wrong. I mean, we Financially, we still give. But it's, for example, we've several years in a row, we did I can't remember, Habitat for Humanity. We built a house in one week and donated it at the end of the week. The last time we did that was 2019. The reason why we haven't done it is because we needed to get some things that, well, COVID yeah. <laughs> didn't, that made a big part of it, right? Yeah. Um, but also we need to get some things in place to be able to be able to really do that at a high level and not hurt everything else that we have going on. 
So what would I do different? Uh, it's a journey, right? So you hit, it's, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. So had I known about certain coaches earlier, I would have hired them that helped me streamline my business to get to the point where I'm not trying to be in every part of the business, but I didn't. Now I do, or maybe it was a, a fact of uh, mindset. Oh, is it worth it to invest into this person? Are they good enough? All these different questions that we ask ourselves. I don't know that I would do anything. I, what I would do different is what I can't control. Put the people in front of me that I know can help me change my life and business. Harry, I totally noticed just a different energy about you as we started talking about this. Like the passion is like you wear it on your sleeves kind of thing. So how does this drive you have to help and to give and to contribute to also humanity? How does that inspire you to go bigger with your business? So I, for me, I want to help when it comes to mentorship content casting that net out there in that way. I want to help more people become entrepreneurs. I want to help more kids become entrepreneurs. I want to help more people own their businesses versus their businesses owning them because I went through that for many years. It was painful. It cost me relationships. It's cost me time. It's destroyed my body by because I was a carpenter and I would I, I really I worked hard. And it's probably taken years off the end of my life. So I want to be able to show people how to do things the right way from the beginning. And it's, I'm very passionate about it, but you know what? It's like this, you and I both know that when you help and mentor somebody, you're going to get more out of that person. If they pay and invest to be in par a part of it, if you give it to them for free, they don't do anything. Sadly, most people don't. So with cast net net out there and, and getting out there for the content part that's free so there's always giving like people um message me all the time on instagram i had actually a really nice message i think it was yesterday someone telling me how my mess my post that i post the videos the text that i put out there is completely changed their life my book has completely changed their life so like that kind of stuff is is huge it's fulfilling so there's that to that but then what i was going to say is as I grow my mentorship and help people and mastermind with people pay us to help them grow, that's going to give me financials to help others in, in a financial way. One of the things I want to spotlight is that you do write significant checks for people and charities, and that's been a huge thing in your life. But one thing you said is it doesn't inspire you as much as actually helping people, which is transparent here. What is something that you think could really help somebody starting out that maybe doesn't feel that fulfillment in writing checks, but feels that fulfillment in helping other people? It's probably because they've never done it before. They've never gone out and got their, their hands dirty, their feet wet, put themselves in front of people that are struggling in ways we would never imagine. I, I know we've been in places together the three of us that we've seen things like that. I know when I was living in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, there was a few times that we would go like the poverty there. Some of the poverty there is just like beyond belief, like people living out in the middle of these deserts with any kind of a cardboard box trying to cover them and from 80, 90 degree weather and snakes and everything else out there, just barely living on any kind of food, no water, no, it's just, a, it's crazy to watch that. And we would 
go and get these bags and we would get roughly about a thousand bags and we would just fill them with all these different things and go hand them out and just try to, and just that fulfillment alone. Like, I think that to help somebody see that is to do something like that. Instead of just sending over a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks, 5,000 bucks, a hundred bucks, go put some bags together and go to a place that is the worst thing you can ever possibly imagine and, and be in there and humble yourself and being a part of helping them be better in their life. I think we've all been uh, a part of a charity called the International Network of Hearts and yeah. something about going down and spending time with these kids that have been through sex trafficking and actually the few dollars it costs to bring them popsicles and cheeseburgers and things like that melts your heart a lot more than writing a check in my mind. That is very special and I truly agree with it. Yeah, for sure. On all this heart stringing notes, before we transition into our rapid fire giving round, just wanted you to take a second, maybe dive into uh, a little bit more of this motion and just tell us about a story of one of your favorite times of giving that when you think back to it today, it still gives you goosebumps. I was mentioning earlier, I don't think it, it's, I don't know if this is a problem of me, of mine that I need to get over and overcome, but I always feel like every time I do something, it's, I'm playing small. So it's not enough. So I, I just don't get, yeah, a lot of things fulfill me. Like I can remember there's all kinds of stories of, of people that even paid us to, be, to come into our mentorship. And literally you can hear the shaking in her voice, pushing all in. It's like pulling all, pushing all her chips in. And next thing I know, they're making millions of dollars, fulfilling their dreams, helping other people, giving to their church. And it's, it just casts and it just keeps on, it's a, uh, like, what is it? Like you throw a rock in the water and it just like ripples out. Uh, yeah. Ripples out the ripple effect. That's what I was looking for. The ripple effect of helping one person, how it can help so many others. That's it's like, it's never the instant gratification to me. It's always the ripple effect that I see. And I feel proud. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, man. And yeah. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that with us. And I would love to hear a little bit more about that inside of our giving round here. Are you ready for it? Just some rapid fire questions, quick answers, just a few of them for you. Let's go. Brag on one charity that you like. International Network of Hearts. I love helping kids. We, we spoke about it earlier. Like kids, is a, there's a soft part, soft part in my heart for them. That's something, who knows, maybe there's going to be additional ones moving forward, but that's one that... I know that where the dollars are going. I know how it directly impacts these kids and it's, it's fulfilling to watch it evolve. What gets you more excited? Building a business that will deliver you and your family financial freedom or going down to INH for a week and helping them? I think both. And the reason why I say both is because without the business, I, the opportunities are harder to come by. So I think it equally needs to be there. I love driving business. Like business is a passion of mine and it gives me the freedom in, to be able to financially and be able to spend time doing things like that. Invest time. Yeah, beauty. Who inspires you with their giving? Honestly, Mark Evans. I've never seen anything like it. Like, Actually, Mark uh, gave me this here right behind me. I've never seen anybody give the way he gives. And it's just, it's so huge. 
Like his, I'll tell you what, his giving gives me goosebumps. <laughs> it's awesome. that big. It's that big and that impactful. <laughs> we got to get him on the show. Yeah, you do. Do you think that entrepreneurs should start giving at the very beginning of their business or once they've seen some success and have some money in the bank? If you're not going to do it from the, from the beginning, the get go, it's even harder to do it later. It's just, it's a habit. Do we, do we start working out when we become fat and out of shape or should we always work out, right? <laughs> exactly. Giving can be done in all different types of form that we've talked about on here, free mentorships, programs, resources. What is a unique way that you're giving back right now? Unique way? I'll give that some thought. <laughs> I didn't say that'd be easy. Yeah, no, it's unique. We, I, are you saying with, other than the mentorships and such? Yeah. Yeah. It's a unique way of giving back even to your kids, to people around you. What, what is that? Yeah. It's, I always try to inspire anything, anybody, anytime we get in rooms and get around the right people, especially kids, my kids, their friends, just talking to my niece and my nephew at, at Easter a couple of days ago. And just trying to inspire them and, and help them and give them the road. That's it just opening my mouth and, and sharing and giving a word instead of holding it back. I know that there's a lot of people with, when I was growing up that, could, that I saw that were super successful and never did that for me. So that's something I always want to uh, continuously give in that way. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Fulfilled. Great answer. And the final question, you can elaborate as much as you want on this one. Do you believe that money can buy you happiness? Yes. Why? And I do because happiness comes in so many ways. It's experiences, it's traveling, spending time with your kids, giving back, being able to make others happy. So yeah, and guess what? At the end of the day, it takes money. It takes money to do that. So I know I've been broken. I've been rich and I'm much happier rich because of the things that I can do with that money versus being broke and worried about money. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Terry. I really appreciated it. Give a shameless plug to where people can find you. I know you got a book out there. What's the best way for people to, to absorb your content right now? Yeah, easiest way to get in touch with me and everything's in my bio and my Instagram is uh, follow me on Instagram at Terry Thayer II. Cool. That's beauty. And we'll make sure some of that's in the show notes for everybody. And man, thank you so much for your time, Terry. It's uh, awesome to get somebody in here to speak about automating their businesses, getting out of their business, and also doing some incredible things along the way. So really appreciate your time and looking forward to connecting again soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, Always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.